With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to sub, sub, oh, Wow, sorry, you guys. <laughs> got a little choked up there. Something in my throat. Uh, welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can also check me out on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. And also, you can email me, just Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, comments, suggestions. You know, maybe you think of a guest that you want to have on the show. Email me, let me know. And guess what, you guys? Wonderful news. Maybe you didn't hear. This show can now be heard on Spotify, on Stitcher, as well as iTunes, and here at Blog Talk Radio. So, Really, lots of places. You're listening to your music. You get tired. You want to switch over to a podcast. We're right there. Just type in the name Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and the show will pop up, and you can pick an episode. Any of the episodes are all they're all archived. So if you missed the live one, you can go back and you know look for the archived version of it, and it'll be there on all those different platforms. I want to say thank you for supporting the show. Um, you know, I had a little hiatus. And then I'm back, and I know that there are people that are still supporting your show, downloading, and I really appreciate it. You know, I do this show because I'm learning about things, and I think it's important that I share this information with others, and you never know when you can use this information. So, for example, this month is Sickle Cell Anemia Awareness Month, and I'm going to have three guests today, not just two. I originally had two, but now I'm going to have three. So I'm going to pick up the line. I've got a doctor, a public health specialist, and a woman from a nonprofit. So give me a second here. I'm going to pick up the line. I think this is the doctor first. Hi, good morning. Is this uh, Dr. Titi Lope? Good morning. Yes, it is. Hi, Joy. Did how I are you? Your name? Hi, how are you? You, you did excellently. You, you were amazing. That's exactly right. Good, good. All right. All right. Let's see if Mary is on the line. I think this is Mary. Good morning. Is this Hi, Mary good, Houlihan? Good morning. This is Mary. Hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for calling in. Um, we're going to have another guest, actually, um, a, a, just a little surprise guest here, but I thought it was important. It's a local organization in Philadelphia 
the Crescent Foundation, and they're doing some great work uh, helping people with sickle cell. So this is um, Dr. Um, sorry, not Dr. But Tahira Austin Muhammad. I think this is her. Tahira, you're here. Hi. Good morning, Joy. I am. Thank you for calling in, and I'm so glad you like text me or sent me a message on Instagram. I love it. Yes, uh, and that was all to one of my good friends, um, Sister Leah Kabir. She actually sent me um, one of your uh, you had you you were promo for sickle cell disease awareness month on your Instagram page, and she's like, you all need to be on her show, and I'm like. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> That's great. So it, That's it, great. It, it worked out. The, the stars aligned. Yes, I'm. I'm very happy. Uh, let me tell the audience a little bit about the guest here, um, Dr. Titi Lope Facipe. I hope I pronounced her last name correctly. Did I do that right? You did. This is amazing. Actually, you're, you're spot on. Okay, good. She is the co-director of the Texas Children's Sickle Cell Program and also an assistant professor of pediatrics and hematology oncology at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. The special thing about Dr. Fasipe is she is a pediatric hematologist, but she also um, is a person dealing with sickle cell. So she's going to have a really unique perspective today. I have Mary Houlihan. Am I saying your last name correctly? Yep, exactly. Okay, good. She is a health scientist in epidemiology and surveillance branch of the Division of Blood Disorders, National Center on Birth Defects and Developmental Disabilities, Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, you guys say that all at once in one breath. Um, she has some great programs she's working on, and I think she's going to be expanding them, and she could talk about that. She's going to be expanding them this month in additional seven states. Um, the third guest is Tahira Austin Muhammad. Again, we just met the other day, and she is um, a co-founder and COO of the Crescent Foundation here in Philadelphia, and they are helping people with sickle cell anemia, and she can talk about her programs. I'll get to, to her shortly. Thank you all. Wow. This is powerhouse of guests here. Really appreciate you guys calling in. Um, I'm going to start with the doctor because, you know, what is sickle cell anemia? I mean, some people may never have heard of it. Yeah. So sickle cell anemia, and I'm going to use the word sickle cell disease actually, um, describes a group of blood disorders where a person has inherited one mutation called the hemoglobin S mutation. Um, And that hemoglobin S mutation, when you have two copies or if you have a copy with another type of abnormal hemoglobin, it can change the shape of your cells, and that can then lead to several different problems in the body. As you know, blood goes everywhere in the body, and because it's a blood disorder, it can affect anywhere in the body. Um, so that's the a simple, a brief definition um, of sickle cell disease. I think the most important thing that people think about is that it's a disease that can cause severe excruciating pain, and it can cause organ damage as well um, to any organ yes. of the body. So it's, it's very important that you're highlighting it this month, and thank you again. Mary, so, Mary, why do you think that this is a public health issue? 
Because when I think of public health, I'm thinking like a lot of people are affected. Um, they're not getting help or assistance. Um, the government needs to step in. Are any of these things true? Why do you feel it's a public health issue? It's a public health issue, number one, because it affects a, a large number of people in our country. We think there's somewhere around 100,000 individuals with sickle cell disease living in the United States. Um, however, when you think about the, the much larger universe, the rest of the world, the numbers are even greater than that. So, you know, I think it's important when we think public health not to just be U.S. focused, but, but across the globe. And, and when we look at the numbers of individuals born with sickle cell disease, living with sickle cell disease throughout the world, the numbers are, are really quite high. Um, it's also an important public health is- issue in the United States. Um, because it, it, it affects um, every aspect of an individual's life. It's not just their health. It affects their home life. It affects their education. It affects their working. Um, you know, it really touches on every single component of someone's life. And so um, it makes it a very important issue. It's an issue that there are um, lots of challenges and lots of ways that those challenges can be addressed. And, and oftentimes, you mentioned the government, there are ways that those challenges can be addressed that the government, um, you know, really is, is the one who can play a role in helping there. Tahira, now you are somebody who's trying to help. Why did you start this sickle cell? You could have started something else, you know, like cancer. I mean, that's a very popular disease. I hate to say it like that, but you understand, I think, what I'm trying to say. Why sickle cell? Um. So I have sickle cell disease, so I wouldn't have started anything else. I've, I've, I've been in, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with sickle cell disease SS at the age of six years old. So my story is quite different from many of my peers. Um, I was born in Philadelphia and raised in Philadelphia, but I was born at Chestnut Hill Hospital. So this is a hospital outside of Philadelphia where sickle cell disease testing wasn't being done. So although I was born full term, um, my mom had, a healthy pregnancy, no one knew I had sickle cell disease um, until I was six years old. Um, mm. And so this has been my purpose, you know, for my life. And right. I had a, another, um, I was doing, I've always been in research, my educational background, I have a BS in bio, I have a MPH, a Master's in Public Health, and Concentrations Epidemiology. Um, and I'm a clinical researcher at CHOP, but I have two friends also who live with sickle cell disease, and we've always done our individual um, things in the sickle cell community. You know, so whether that was helping individuals um, connect with resources, especially adults living with sickle cell disease, there are many resources um, uh, in pediatrics, especially with the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia being home to Philadelphia and St. Christopher's, um, hospital for Children, they do a wonderful job, both teams. But when it comes to adults living with sickle cell disease in our area, there really much, there really isn't that much support. Um, yeah. And so that happens to we, a lot to hear. Let me just say, um, a lot of kids yeah. transitioning who are in, um, I would say, uh, what do you call it? like levels of poverty or disabilities and poverty, like people who are uh, kids who are on Medicaid and have disabilities and then they transition to adult, the system is just not set up to that transition. Um, so there, there is a lot of need um, in, in that area of any child having some kind of 
what do you call it? I can't think of the word, my brain's going blank, but you understand some kind of disadvantage, so to speak, and then they're transitioning to adult. The macro society is not really there for them. Um, Dr. Um, Fasipe, I wanted to ask you, is it, I wanted to ask you, is it men more than women or children more than adults? And, and why would um, Tahira not get diagnosed till six? Is that something you normally see? Uh, that's a lot of questions. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. Um, if, if you allow me, I will pick up with Miss um, Tahira. I, first of all, I'm happy to have a, a fellow sister, a sickle cell warrior on the line um, here today. And her story sounds amazing. Um, I will say that there's an element here that we have not yet said, though it may, you may have um, felt it may be implied, but one of the barriers for sickle cell disease is that it has faced systemic racism and historical neglect. It has faced systemic racism and historical neglect. And so compounded with the fact, as you mentioned, that it's a chronic illness that struggles with transition just like other chronic illnesses, sickle cell also has the unique challenge of being um, predominantly in the African-American population. However, it can affect anybody of any descent. But because for many years people thought it only affected black people and this has been, you know, um, throughout the, um, for the America, United States specifically, um, um, minorities have been disadvantaged. So you add on several layers of disadvantages when you see that. And so her story um, is sad because at that time, I, I'm not sure what year she was born, but at that time it sounds as if there was not mandatory testing in her state um, that made hospitals check. Um, today, every state checks babies um, for sickle cell disease, but that took several years to get, um, to get mandated for every state to do so. So her story um, should not happen again in today's world but at the time she was talking about, it was very common for a child to be not recognized to have sickle cell disease. And I will say every once in a while, I still see children that get late diagnoses because they've moved from a different country um, or they were mm. born in a rural setting that didn't have the resources. So resources are very important um, when talking about sickle cell disease. And then um, to the other question about um, male versus female, sickle cell can affect anybody. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. Because you inherit it from your parents, um, you get one copy from mom, one copy from dad, and so um, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. However, when we look at the hospital admissions, we see that women are more likely to be hospitalized, but women are also more likely to live longer than men, and that's something we're still trying to understand. Um, so when we look at gender differences, the differences um, in sex, it seems to be more about um, healthcare utilization and um, life women. Now, um, Mary, does this ring true to why you're doing your sickle cell data collection program um, to find out this information of why men are not being hospitalized and women are being hospitalized more? Tell us a little bit more about the sickle cell data pro collection program. Sure, thanks. Um, yes, I think that those are certainly goals. We're trying to better understand the disease, but quite frankly, we're stepped before that, we're still trying to understand how many people in the United States actually have sickle cell disease. 
And exactly. that's because while we do have the newborn screening program, so we, knew, we know how many babies are born in the United States, but as Dr. Fisipe said, there is no program to understand how many people are moving here from different countries. There's no program to understand how many adults there are in the United States that were born before newborn screening was implemented in their, their state of birth. And so we quite honestly don't know how many individuals with sickle cell disease are living in the U.S. That means we don't know where they live. We don't know where they're going to receive their health care. We don't know who the doctors are that are taking care of them. So those are the really basic questions that our surveillance program is still trying to get a handle on. Once we better understand that, we are absolutely trying to better understand healthcare utilization. How many times are people going to the hospital? Where are they going to the hospital? Why are they going? Which hospitals are they going to? And by having a better understanding of that information, it's kind of like why do you fill out the census report? It's to know where resources are needed and to make better plans so that people with sickle cell disease have better access to care. Um, so that, that's really a big part of what we're doing. And we're also c collecting this data and making it available so that people who are able to make changes in healthcare policy, in healthcare provision, can use this information to be the evidence that's needed to make those changes in ways that are going to positively affect the sickle cell population. Now, Tahira, does this sound like something you would want as someone who has sickle cell? Um, do you think this is beneficial? And also tell us about some of the symptoms that you're having um, that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So having a, a registry for data is the most important thing the sickle cell community can have because where there's data and numbers, then you can justify where funding needs to go. So and without the, that data, then it's really hard to say, you know, well, the sickle cell community needs funding for research. The sickle cell community needs funding for more comprehensive centers. And, and that especially is true for the adult sickle cell community and for those rural areas, especially in Pennsylvania, where we know there are people living with sickle cell disease, but they don't have the resources that those who are living in the city may have or may have access to. Um, and many times it has nothing even to do with the type of insurance that you have. You can have really great insurance and still not have the needed resources as an adult living with sickle cell disease that will help you um, have a better quality of life. So, yes, data collection and that, that type of registry is really important. Um, when it comes to my day-to-day -day, uh, complications, I have to say I'm, I'm really blessed. Um, I don't have those day-to-day -day complications um, that many of my peers have when it comes to um, chronic pain. Um, my complications come during the winter, you know, and that's when I get acute pain crises or acute pain episodes. Um, and I also deal with acute chest syndrome, which is a type of pneumonia that people with sickle cell disease um, may experience. And with that, because I've had, I've undergone so many blood transfusions throughout the years. Um, you have to be very careful with giving me a blood transfusion because I have so many um, antibodies. And because of mm. that, my body tends to reject the blood. Um, so the last scare that my family went through was 
two years ago, I had just had my, my or three years ago, I just had my daughter. Um, I got really sick during the winter months. Um, I had acute chest syndrome. My hemoglobin dropped to a three. Um, and my baseline hemoglobin is usually between a 10, uh, a nine and a 10. And so wow. it was pretty scary. And I had to get blood um, a blood transfusion. But the blood transfusion ended up making things a lot worse. And I went, um, I actually went through something called a delayed hemolytic transfusion reaction where the blood that I received literally, um, it, it just didn't do my body any, any good. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I went, I ended up blacking out. Um, and it was, and I had to just get through the pain until I was able to come out, um, come 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 out of that that blackout and you know my I had a great uh, medical team and I mean they just went to work with trying to that's really great. save my life so yeah um, but when it comes to day to day complications my story because of the type of sickle cell that I have and my genetic um, composition you know sickle cell disease is an individualistic disease everyone how it affects everyone is differently. So I'm, although mm-hmm. I have SS, someone else with SS can experience pain every day. Um, but that's right. not my story. It's not my experience. Let me let me ask Dr. Fatipe about her experience. Dr. Fatipe, is anything she's talking about, is that happening to you, or do you have something different in terms of the symptoms? Like she said, it's individualistic. Um, what's, what's happening with your um, health and how it's affecting you? Thank you. Yeah, so as um, Ms. Muir was talking, I resonated with so many of the things she said. I also have um, hemoglobin SS disease, but like she said, even in the same family, two people can have the same type of um, sickle cell, and it can look very different. Mine happens more with triggers as well. So whether it's cold or extreme stress, um, you know, our monthly cycles, things like that, those are things that can um, make me feel worse. I don't deal with chronic daily pain, um, but I deal with pain um, kind of as she, as she described. Um, I also have uh, have antibodies. In fact, everything she was saying is just like making me think about things I've gone through. And and so, you know, she's hitting at an important point. With sickle cell, it's um, sometimes difficult to treat because um, when we think about our blood bank supply, like getting transfusions for people with sickle cell, it's not, um, uh, it does not always have a lot of genetic diversity. And so even though they may look like we match, there's going to be some slight differences. And so it's very common for people with sickle cell to develop antibodies um, to blood transfusions. And, and so we have to be very cautious with that. And so for me, I get encouraged um, when I uh, hear of others, uh, like Mr. Hearing and my friends, we share our experiences. Again, they're, they're usually different, but they all have several similar themes. We all understand pain. We all understand um, what it's like to be in a hospital and, you know, worry about your family, worry about yourself. And, right. um yeah, so we have a lot of shared experiences, even though they may present differently. Now, Mary, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. There's the Sickle Cell Treatment Act of 2003. Have you heard of that? Um, and, and and can you expound on that? It's, they were talking about different optional Medicaid benefits for sickle cell people, Medicaid reimbursement. Do you know any of that information at all? Um, I am familiar with the Sickle Cell Treatment Act. I'm not sure that I know all of the fine details of it. Um, I, 
probably the one that I'm a little more familiar with is the more recent law that was passed in 2018 for sickle cell disease surveillance and research. Um, but but there, the Sickle Cell Treatment Act, yes, of 2003 certainly, you know, does exist. I'd, I'd be happy to look for more information for you, but I, I'm not Don't sure worry. that I know no, no, I the just details was, I to just be. Was, yeah, so, so you're yeah. dealing with yeah. your program and the data collection. Um, now, Dr. Yeah. Uh, just a question. Can you die from sickle mm-hmm. cell? Uh, is this contagious? Um. So let me start with the contagious part. It's not contagious. Um, you inherit it. So um, you get it from um, from your genetics, so your parents and ancestors. That's how um, people get it. And so once you get it, you don't pass it on um, like how you can pass on an infection, but you have the genes of sickle cell inside of you. So when you have children, you can pass on that mutation. Now, that doesn't mean all your children will get sickle cell, but they'll at least get one copy of that mutation. And so it depends. Um, We do encourage people with sickle cell, um, or if you have one copy and you have something called sickle cell trait, we encourage um, everyone to make sure that they know their status and um, their partner status so they can have genetic counseling discussions about their future children and the risks that the future children may have. And then, um, yeah, so you asked about um, dying. So, you know, sickle cell, I would say um, before, in the, before the 80s or 70s and before all of that, it was definitely a disease marked by shortened lifespan in the United States. Um, and it appeared to be a disease of childhood because people would rarely see adults with sickle cell disease. Over the years, there have been certain improvements that have allowed children to live longer and now the fight is, um, as Ms. Tahira said, about the adult population as well. We want to make sure that we understand what happens to people when they age with sickle cell disease. Um, I will say I know people of sickle cell disease of varying ages. Um, the way I describe it is that it's a chronic disease, but it can have life-threatening complications. And so sadly, mm-hmm. there's still children who die of sickle cell disease. And there's, sadly, young adults that can die of sickle cell disease. We're trying to work to change that story and to move that needle. And um, the three people that you have on today, you know, we're all fighting that battle in different ways. Um, The CDC has the most up-to-date numbers on lifespan. um, And I would say it's an average, but it's not perfect because we really need to look more at the data. Um, but now people are living much longer with sickle cell disease, thankfully, and we want to continue that trend. That's really great to hear. And a lot of things, people, I know you said that it's a trait thing, but I just wanted to emphasize that it's not contagious because no matter you say stuff, sometimes people don't hear it, and then they might find they have a friend or somebody, and that person gets ostracized. And I just really wanted to make it clear that it's not contagious, Um for other people and you can be friends and you can touch them and you know, all these things can still happen. Um, Tahira, talk about your one gene, one life program. That was really interesting. Is that still happening? Yeah. So we actually just um, wrapped up one gene, one life with um, Penn medicine and their first year um, med students uh, in their genetics course. So what one gene, one life is, it is an emerging program where we go around and we actually get to humanize sickle cell disease to medical students, right, because they are the ones who will be our doctors, our future doctors, 
and our future leaders in medicine and in science and who will, you know, take care of us. And so it is important that they see us at our best, right, and not mm-hmm. when we first go into the ED, seeking help, and then they already have these biases or preconceived notions of what sickle cell is and um, the experience of sickle cell disease. So we get to come in, you know, as as our educated, bubbly selves, and we get to tell them, you know, how sickle cell has impacted our lives, you know, and, you know, what they should, um, how they should treat those who are living with sickle cell disease and how it will make their jobs easier if they ask these type of questions, right, and if they didn't assume certain things and if they didn't stigmatize um, uh, those who are adults living with sickle cell disease, uh, especially as drug seekers, you know, even through an opioid crisis. Because when we go to the ED, that's the last place that we want to be. And oftentimes we are suffering for days or even weeks before we end up going, you know, to seek help from from um, those who are in medicine or healthcare workers, period. And so, um, you know, this program, we have a partner, a long-term partnership with Penn. We've done drug-through students. Um, this upcoming, uh, well, next school semester, we'll be doing a, a virtual HBCU tour for historically black colleges and universities um, for their medical schools. And then oh, and we've great. also done, yeah, we've also done on a high school level as well to high school students who are interested in medicine, right, when they go into undergrad mm-hmm. or they're interested in science and they're taking a genetics course. Sickle cell disease is one of those um, illnesses that is it's great to teach genetically because it's so um, straightforward, right? And okay, yep. Kind of, you, can, you can understand it from an, from an inheritance pattern um, level when you're teaching that as a professor or, you know, as a high school genetics teacher. And so it's interesting going into these high schools and talking about sickle cell disease, you always have a few students who are like, you know, I have a person with sickle cell disease in, in, in my family, or I have a friend who has sickle cell disease. So not only only are you teaching it from a scientific point of view, but you're also, um, uh, you get to have this experience with these students, you know, on a familiar level, because, you know, we're people who live with sickle cell disease, but they get to tell us about their experience as a person in their lives who have sickle cell so it's it's a, right. it's a great program. It's one of my favorite programs, um, and 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 it does well. I love our partnerships. Tell us real quick your social media sites where people can find more information about the Crescent Foundation, um, Tahira. Absolutely. So you can find us on Instagram at Crescent Foundation S C D. You can find us on Facebook at Crescent Foundation A Sickle Cell Initiative, and our website is. CrescentFoundationSCD.org. That's great. I'm going to close the show with Dr. Fasipe, treatments for sickle cell. Uh, Tahira mentioned about drug seeking. What drugs would they be seeking, um, and are there other things that can be given? I remember hearing um, some people can't can't take the drug and then they have to take another. It's like two different major ones. Can you talk about the drugs that are used to help treat it? in acute situations, um, and also on an ongoing uh, daily basis. Yes, for sure. Um, so in an acute situation when you're in pain, you are symptom and you do need pain medication. And right now, one of the mainstays of pain management are opioid medications. 
And so, unfortunately, um, because of some of the systemic racism and, uh, and biases that um, we've discussed, the people with sickle cell are often labeled as drug users or drug-seeking. They are actually care-seeking because they're functional individuals with, with lives and jobs that seek care when they're in pain. But unfortunately, um, they did get that label and stigma. And so I really think um, Ms. Tanisha's work um, with the medical school is vital. And so when we talk about treatments for the disease itself, how to modify the disease, um, the medication hydroxyurea has been the first and only medicine for a long time, for several uh, years for sickle cell. Um, recently, in the past uh, year and then even uh, two years ago or so, there have been three other FDA-approved medications for sickle cell disease. And so I would encourage um, any individual with sickle cell disease to talk to their doctor about those options um, to manage the daily um, parts of sickle cell. And then there is one cure so far for sickle cell, but it's not available for everybody. It's a bone marrow transplant or a stem cell transplant. Um, but research trials are looking at ways to cure and also treat sickle cell disease. So we have a lot of things coming down the road and the pipeline. And so um, please uh, check out the CDC website for even more details about that as well. Um, Mary, just real quick, do you have any other programs that people might uh, need to know about um, since you're doing all these different state-to-state um, data tracking? Sure. Um, I would highly encourage people to uh, please visit our CDC website. And I think if you type, if you Googled CDC and sickle cell disease, it'll take you to that. There are numerous um, publications, fact sheets, PDFs talking about all different issues related to sickle cell disease. We have also have an entire toolkit specifically about sickle cell trait, what it is, how it is inherited, what it can mean for your life. Um, there's information for students to share with their schools and with their, with their educators about what it means to have a, a student with sickle cell disease. Um, so I, I really hope that people check that out. There's podcasts, there's videos, there's all sorts of material. That's great. You guys did a wonderful job today. Uh, pat yourself on the back. I think the, the information we shared will really help people. This show is heard not just only in the United States, but I have had guests in Africa and Europe um, and South America, even Asia. People are listening to the podcast, so if they stumble upon this, this is really great information for them to have. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Dr. Fasipe, uh, Mary Houlihan, and Tahira Awesome-Hamid for coming on the show this morning. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So, again, um, talking about the CDC, the number you guys can um, call is 1-800-232-4636. That will give you some more information about um, anything that the CDC is handling. They also have an email contact form on the CDC info webpage. It's on the left side, and it's an email contact form if you want to submit questions. So those are um, two great places um, you can connect with the CDC um, about, you know, anything, not just sickle cell. They deal with a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, so thank you again for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, 
and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. I'm going to be giving away some books by Nick Stone. Um, they've been um, very uh, happy to uh, donate some books that I can give away, so keep an eye out for that. I still have CDs of Ishmael Wilkins, I'm sorry, Emmanuel Wilkins, a jazz saxophonist CD. Um, also, some other books. Just just check out the social media. You'll see lots of different giveaways. I use a big picture. It says giveaway. Are you ready for a giveaway? You never know. Somebody may not have answered yet, so give, give you know try and see if you can. I try to give equal opportunities, so sometimes I say if you've won a gift in the last 30 days, you can't do it. But other than that, uh, most people, you, you have a, a chance uh, to, to win a, a book or CD. And, again, like I said, the movie theater is opening it up. I'll probably be giving away some tickets to the movie theater, a lot of great shows coming out. And, you know, I'll probably be having some great actors on, so keep an eye out for that. Again, thank you for your support. And really appreciate you guys tuning in. You guys have a wonderful weekend, and I will see you next Saturday. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.